This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portsy. My name is Andrew Carroll. And today we're talking about Irish acting powerhouse. Liam Cunningham. Mm. Andrew, run down his history. Liam Cunningham was born in Dublin, in Ireland, obviously, in 1961. He left school at 15 and worked as an electrician for the Electricity Supply Board, or ESP. Uh, In the 1980s, he moved to Zimbabwe to work as as an electrician at a safari park and to train Zimbabwean electricians. Upon his return, he became dissatisfied with his work as an electrician and decided to pursue his love of acting. He attended classes and appeared in local theatre before moving on to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company. His first film role was as a police officer in Into the West, which he followed with The War of the Buttons and Alfonso Cuaron's A Little Princess in 1995. It was Neil Marshall's 2002 Werewolves vs. Soldiers film Dog Soldiers that won him international attention. In 2006, he appeared in Ken Loach's Pam Orr winning film The Wind That Shakes the Barley, set during the Irish War for Independence and Civil War. He appeared in Steve McQueen's 2008 debut, Hunger, in a one-scene wonder role as a priest opposite Michael Fassbender's Bobby Sands. In 2012, he joined the cast of HBO's Game of Thrones as Sir Davos Seaworth, aka The Onion Knight, and in an exceedingly rare occurrence lasted from season two all the way to season eight. In the 2010s, he has appeared in films such as Let Us Pray, The Childhood of a Leader, and 24 Hours to Live, as well as roles in the series The Hot Zone, Rick and Morty, and Masters of the Universe. He will appear in an adaptation of Lu Xinzin's The Three-Body Problem and Andre Overdahl's next horror film, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. I'm really excited for Me that. Too. It's going to be <laughs> great. Talk about yeah. And um, yeah, joining us to probe Liam Cunningham's career is Headstuff contributor Aoife Bangle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful for you to have... I can't even do that right. (laughs) Wonderful to have you on, Aoife. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been a... Uh, a year-long ambition of mine to be on here. That's so nice. You're the only person who's ever said that. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice to hear. Um, Our other guests better step their game up. Sure. Yeah, Um, yeah, we've never met in person until now, but you message the show's Instagram page, you know, saying, I'm a fan, love to hear it. But you also said, like, have you considered covering me in Cunningham? Twitch, Andrew and I were like, yeah, come on, talk about him. And um, I just wanted to kick off by just asking, you know, what makes Liam Cunningham such a standard actor, Gene? Uh, so I I don't know why um, it can't be explained, but since I was a kid, I've just had this obsession with him and it got even more intense when I realized that he was Irish. Um, <laughs> I think it was when I was a kid, I saw A Little Princess. It was just one of those videos that I watched every week. Like I wasn't even keen on it, but I would just watch it all the time because it was mm-hmm. there. Um, and then I saw Dog Soldiers far too young. Um, I have really great parents uh, who were just like, yeah, do what you want. <laughs> and I uh, loved him in that. And then since then, I'm always just like, he. I just get excited when he's in things. I'm like, oh, you know, I was actually talking about, I was explaining this podcast to someone and I was like, oh, I'm doing Liam Cunningham. And they were like, oh, I don't know him. And I was like, oh, Google him there. They're like, oh, yeah, I know his face. Mm, and I was like, sure. oh, no way. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I I just think he's got a great voice, doesn't he? And a he, great face. He maybe has the best scowl in cinema, sure. I think. Yeah, And that stare. He does yeah, the stare, yeah. Deep. If I was Bobby Sands, I would be convinced not to go on Hunger Strike <laughs> sure. if he came, if he came yeah, to yeah. talk to me. Um, I think he's got a very fun career compared to a lot of other Irish actors because he does Very a lot true, of, yeah. Um, like, he's obviously in, like, two of the best, like, Irish movies or movies about Ireland ever, mm. like, When the Chicks the Brownie and Hunger. But then he's also in a lot of trash. It's like, <laughs> yeah. trash I enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like... He picks his trash well. And what you said there about he has a great voice. Um, 
just referencing your uh, someone you did before, Donald Pleasance. I think he's a much better voice for water safety than him. I don't know if you've been to the cinema, if you've been to the cinema recently. He's just like telling you how to live instead of telling you not how, like how not to die. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's in that Toyota ad as well. That makes no sense. Which one's that? He's like driving a car, talking about sleek things and power or some shite anyway okay. and then he like at the end he gets out of a Toyota and leaves the lights on it's like, come on man you were an electrician also made a movie with Dario Argento and it's not a I, that movie, I didn't know about that yeah that's cool yeah, <laughs> my book. yeah. fucking the other thing um, what's it Blood the Last Vampire yeah that's crazy he'll just show up in Japan that's exactly the type of bad movie I enjoy yeah and I read the plot and I, he's just his character's name just isn't listed anywhere so it's like okay he's probably in one or two scenes and he gets his throat walks by in the background role if I remember okay but, but he's also like I love Harry Brown I love the escapist mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in a lot of cool like little genre movies and then also he'll pop up just randomly in like an art house movie like Childhood of a Leader opposite like that movie is the most eclectic cast it's like Stacey Martin the girl from Nymphomaniac Bernice Beho, the one from The Artist, Robert Pattinson, directed by Brady Corbett. And you're like, how did all these people hang out in a movie? And then Game of Thrones, obviously. Like, mm. uh, it's just, re- it's really eclectic and I love it. Yeah. Um, do you want to kick off by talking about A Little Princess? Is that the name of the movie? Yeah, yeah, I Can't will. believe I've never heard of this. Yeah. I've got very good taste as a kid in that the, the movie that you watched over and over again was made by the guy who <laughs> go on to make Children of Men and Roma <laughs> and Gravity yeah. and all these great movies. Uh, so I hadn't, I, I watched it again yesterday and like, I remembered it every plot point like uh, like you know beat for beat but it was I actually cried four times watching it yesterday <laughs> it's it's so good it's really really emotional so it's basically the story about uh, little Sarah Crew in 1918 she lives in India with her father who's in the British army and then he has to obviously return to I hope I hope I have my year right anyway he has to return to fight in World War One she gets sent to work in like a live in a nice boarding school for girls can I like say spoilers or yeah yeah okay so basically then they think that he's dead and so they can't pay for her to stay there anymore so she becomes a servant in the house and it's very sad and then it turns out that he's actually alive but she doesn't know and it's just a story about just a little girl um and that struggle which is obviously like great when you're a kid because you want to have that feeling of oh god what if both my parents were dead Mm, yeah (laughs) I shall miss it here. India is the only place on Earth that stirs the imagination. I wish we could stay here forever. I know, sweetheart. But now that England's gone to war, I must go too. You understand that, don't you? But why must I go to America? Because it's safer. And besides, you'll be going to the same school your mother went to when she was your age. In a city called? New York. Hmm. Papa? Mm-hmm? Maya told me that all girls are princesses. Maya is a very wise woman. Then it's true? You can be anything you want to be, my love, as long as you believe. What do you believe? I believe that you are and always will be my little princess. Uh, so um, he's very very handsome in it um, I think he was only in his 30s at the time but uh, the chemistry that he has with um, Liesl Matthews plays the little girl is just incredible like he's obviously you know it's it's very rare that you see an actor who's that good with kids but they're just they're like a father and child mm. which is really really sweet and it's just even their scenes together there's, oh, there's two in particular that I was just bawling at both and um, 
he's a good dad. It's like, you know, that's always good to see. I love a good movie dad. Um, has its moments, is a little bit imperialist. Um, <laughs> and there is a scene where he's in Blueface, which I didn't cop until this viewing, which was very strange. Blueface? Yeah, so there's a character of Prince Rama, who is like, it's supposed to be uh, like a, an Indian prince who's kind of in like a, a, a little side story in the movie, who I only realized yesterday is actually Liam Cunningham in Blueface with the turban and everything. Oh, oh. shit. Which okay, was, wow. Except Blueface, I was picturing Tobias Funke. Oh, yeah, I myself, here, yeah. Michael. Oh, I'm sorry, your wife is dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it, I was just kind of watching it and I was like, is that weird? I don't know. I mean, it was 1995. It's hard to tell. But, um, hmm. but um, yeah, I, I got, you know, you guys haven't seen it, but um, it's great. Um, and then I think I figured out a few years ago it was Alfonso Cuaron. And I think he's kind of missing a little bit of a trick because... He did obviously Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and the two films are quite similar in that they really capture the anxiety of being a kid and like, you know, how scary it is and being on your own and that kind of thing. But also by making it quite whimsical, um, which I remember when I saw Harry Potter 3 when I was a kid, I was like, that's not a Harry Potter movie. Um, that, it, that was the the hit that like I think that movie's great. But oh, and yeah, in hindsight, in, I think it's amazing. It's great, but uh, I remember being like, oh, it's pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> is that a werewolf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sad he didn't Coran didn't put Cunningham and Harry Potter. Very like true. Was, like, Maybe Liam Cunningham should have been. Um, he could have been Lupin. Imagine him as Lupin. That's like, his name. I do Ooh, think I do think Tulis is great, but mm. I think he would have just been. He would have been really nice and just like that kind of dad character. Yeah. yeah. Tulis is more of a scoundrel. He should have been Sirius Black. Oh. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Yeah. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. No, go, I'm going to check that out. It's really good. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a solid 90 minutes as well, which Ooh. you love to see. Oh, God. Yeah. Those are the days. <laughs> we crack into Dog Soldiers. Let's do it. I think it might, maybe one of the main. I was most excited to cover Cunningham. Mm. Yeah. yeah, me too. So, Liam Cunningham plays Captain Richard Ryan, a Special Forces unit commander that rejects Private Cooper played by Kevin McKidd, uh, from his unit over his refusal to shoot a dog. Four weeks later, Cooper and his unit are on a training exercise that quickly goes wrong when they come across Ryan near death and his unit massacred by what turns out to be a family of werewolves. I had a cracking story about this place. The young couple were hiking through these woods. During the night, something happened. First off, it's crazy that there's, there's like only like three, maybe four, like properly great great werewolf movies. It is insane. I was yeah, trying there's to like Dog Soldiers, The Howling, American Werewolf, American Werewolf, and Ginger Snaps, and that's it. If you like those sort of like oh the curse of being a werewolf, but that's almost <laughs> like a different kind of thing. Yeah, they're yeah. more like. What about really Wolf, scary. With, yeah. Wolf with uh, Jack Nicholson as well? I just watched that recently. That movie is weird. That film doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's kind of fun, Joe. James Spader's really good in it. And there's a part where Jack Nicholson pees on James Spader in a urinal. And he's like, I'm marking my territory. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this movie. I think, it, I think it is maybe the best werewolf movie ever made. Is that fair to say? It's definitely up there. Yeah, yeah because like, with those other three. I Full just, disclosure, I haven't seen The Howling or Ginger Snaps. <laughs> I've seen Ginger Snaps, I've never seen The Howling. Okay, I feel nice. bad about yeah. that. 
But um, I just think the idea of taking werewolves and making them the threat in a sort of assault on Precinct 13 mm. thriller type movie, where it's like a bunch of interesting characters in a place hoping to survive the night and like things are trying to break down the door. Mm. I just think that makes the werewolves a lot more of a, like an immediate threat and allows them to be ferocious. Mm. And they are all those things, which is really impressive given the movie only costs like two million to make. Mm. Yeah. And, um, I, I could hear, I heard they only, I don't, don't know if this is true or not, but that they could only afford one werewolf suit. So one guy was wearing it and the other, every time the wolves are like in shot, it's just like a head and shoulders on a stick. Oh, that yeah, would make with sense. With the stick out of frame. Yeah. yeah. I could be wrong. Because you kind of just see it come through windows. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. kind of be flung to the side. Yeah. Or like a, an arm with like a werewolf glove on it or something. But it, that kind of makes it, it turns like a weakness into a strength. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. like there's those scenes where obviously they can't really afford a transformation in the vein of some like American werewolf. Mm. So like characters will kind of like go behind a desk yeah, and turn. Yeah. But it also is like... I'm scary. I don't want to see what's coming behind yeah, the desk. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like it does build suspense. And I think the werewolves actually look really cool. I think they look yeah, like... I've never seen, like, because it's just, the, it looks like a big scary dog. It, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have the kind of human features of like most horror films, yeah. which I think really stands out. It's a, it's, it's a creature design I think about all the time. Yeah. I think it looks like a woodcut kind of come to life, you know, when they'd make like ancient woodcuts of like in the 17th century of like werewolves and minotaur stuff. minotaur kind of... Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just something like... More animal than man, I guess. Yeah, manimal. That's it. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> Dog soldiers too. Yeah. Manimal. Um, I also think these kind of one location, low budget thrillers like Dog Soldiers or Reservoir Dogs or The Invitation, which I rewatched recently as a masterpiece, <laughs> and um, Stand Off at Sparrow Creek, which we talked about recently, are just a really good argument for the added value you get when you hire good character actors. Mm. You know, because. Mm. Like, if you can do it, like, if you can get, like, a script to them or for them, like, I think a well-cast character actor can add so much personality and can be the difference between a character feeling like a generic hero or a villain as opposed to, like, a person like you actually care about. Mm, and I feel yeah. like Kevin McKidd is the hero on this, and that's just good casting. Because, yeah. like, when you see him in train spotting, you know, where he's so tragic because Tommy yeah, likable, yeah. or even his, like, little brief role in the Father Ted Cruz <laughs> 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 he he's so likable, and then, like, is there anybody better at doing like I'm a tough geezer with a heart of gold thing than Sean Pertwee? I don't think so. Like, I love one. him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's like young Alfred yeah. in the Gotham series. He's like, oh, I'm in the SAS. <laughs> like, and you love it. And um, I think he gets the best line of the film where he's it? like, um, they're not going to fit. No, it's, uh, it's um, so, yes, they're not going to fit. Jesus, I forgot about. I almost forgot so about funny. that line. But I love the bit before he gets disemboweled, where he's like, "So if Little Red Riding Hood shows up with a bazooka and a bad attitude, I expect you to chin the bitch." <laughs> um, and then you also you have Cunningham as Captain Ryan, who. Um, introduced in the first scene shooting a dog mm. so there's never any ambiguity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he's the bad guy. Yeah. Or not. Straight down the middle, evil prick. But I, I do think that because of that, Cunningham can just go big. Yeah, which is yeah, really fun. yeah. Like, and I, he's obviously doing the very like posh British accent, but like, is like enunciating every word, like yeah, every syllable yeah. in the word. Like, what's the, some of the stuff he says? Like, Radio uh, camp. Tell them the flock is in the fold. And I reckon, shit every, <laughs> I reckon all his men are like. Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they but... think it's all over and all of that shit too. And he's like, because they're all talking about football. Yeah, he's, all, yeah. he's like, he's such a dick. He doesn't even care about football. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. Um, decisions, decisions. And like, I suppose you could make an argument a little bit that he's kind of coded as being sort of like upper class English mm, and everyone yeah. else is like Scottish or Geordie mm. or Cockney. And it's a bit of like, like he sees them, the lower class as being kind of disposable. Yeah. Which kind of makes him a, like a realistic villain in a yeah, weird way. Yeah, yeah. 
pretty But we don't have time for class warfare. There's werewolves to kill. He's just having so much like fun. Yeah, yeah. um, I think what's really good about him is that because he's going so big and he's obviously trapped with Kevin McKidd's character's kind of squadron and they don't trust each other, that even when the werewolves are like breaking down the doors i'm a little bit like oh don't leave cunningham alone yeah <laughs> like, yeah the tension is like internal and external in a really cool way yeah he's really fun in it isn't mm. it? he has like a weird sort of like there's like i don't know how to describe it, but like stoic fear because even you know they tie him up and there's wearables trying to get into the house he's still that kind of reserved looking at them mm. freaking out and he's kind of just like well you know at least i'm not freaking out maybe i just read that into it yeah but yeah compared to the rest of his character he's just like above everything yeah. sometimes <laughs> i like how everyone in the squad like trusts and likes each other which is a kind of a rarity for movies like these where like there's always like there's usually elements within the unit that kind of make cracks appear whereas they all like each other and trust each other and are sad when they see their friends die and the only you know the odd one out is the posh upper class Englishman yeah and I suppose the uh, English is she English the woman that they encountered or is she Scottish I can't remember but she's uh, English yeah she's a <clears throat> wild card but you know she's like, a more likable wild card mm. yeah I feel like her her death is kind of I think the weakest part of the movie and that like it kind of comes out of nowhere and I, was a bit I like, kind of found it a little bit like sexist as yeah, well because she keeps making allusions to like oh all women are bitches yeah, I'm the real thing that's... it's that time of the month and I was kind of like alright reading it in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. something you said earlier about like the kind of the low budget adds to its charm and I was reading up about it and I didn't realize before that it is it's a homage in a way to Evil Dead mm, which makes yeah. so much sense because yeah. they like kind of just did what they could with what they had and it, it's so effective so yeah and I feel like this movie I didn't look into this too deeply but I feel like it sort of kickstarted that wave of particular type of British movies oh proper British or like, yeah. kind of like the outcast gang kind of coming across like movies like Outpost or like the descent Severance or yeah. Doghouse yeah. or stuff like that like these kind of like straight up B-movies they're not like trying to be elevated yeah yeah. yeah like, I th- I, I'm a huge fan of Neil Marshall like say what you same, will but yeah. like yeah mm. um, but I, I kind of think that he did kick that off because he had like Doomsday as well yeah, and yeah, a few of those yeah I think he, he kind of started something there I'd, I I'd like to give him a bit of credit movies are pretty impeccable and then obviously it's the Hellboy thing which he's I think he's only just recently talked about about like I disowned that movie mm. it was all I hated the story and everything, but I like it. It is very spooky. Like you know, this have you guys seen it? The Hellboy. I haven't. The, no. Yeah, the, uh, I saw it in cinemas. Yeah. Do you know the bit at the end where like the demons come and like they're like giant and there's like a whole montage of them just brutalizing people on the yeah, street? Yeah. Like that's really good. Like, that's <laughs> a, I was watching yeah, it recently yeah. and I was sitting there like, oh my god! Like I need a glass of water. Sure. <laughs> No, it's got like good kind of creature design. Yeah, but he's good. He's good at that. Like he's, you know, he really is uh, even with like the crawlers and the descent and stuff. Yeah. Because he was meant to direct the last voyage of the Demeter for ages, but now it's oh, been really? passed on to the the guy who made Trollhunter. Well, I like the guy that made Trollhunter so too. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I'll he's missed really. Yeah. 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 Um, I will say, I think I don't know. I doubt if it was Marshall who brought Cunningham into. Um, Game of Thrones, but he did direct him in like two of the best episodes. There's like the Battle of the Blackwater at the end of season two, I think. And then the Watcher on the Watcher on the Wall. He did yeah, that one as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's in Centurion as well. The other, the other Neil Marshall movie. Yeah, yeah, that. He must like him. Yeah, can talk about <laughs> another horror movie. Go for one it. That's not very good. Sure. <laughs> um, the Car Player. Um, yeah, so this is a um, Italian horror from uh, Maestro Dario Argento. Mm. Um, I'm making a film, I kill the women. <laughs> We've talked a lot about him on the show because we covered the remake of Suspiria, but since he directed the original one, we mm. talked about him a bit, and um, we covered Phenomena with Donald Pleasance. 
But for those not aware, he was like a film critic turned filmmaker who became big in the horror circle from the 70s onwards, mm. making Jallo movies, which are essentially like Italian version of slasher movies. Do you think every review was like, not enough dead women? <laughs> yeah, more. Not purple more. enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's crazy is that they, they predate American slasher movies. Mm, and like yeah, the yeah. John Carpenter cites Argento as an influence on Halloween. I didn't quite put that together until I was doing research on it yeah. for this. Um, and like in, yeah, in his heyday, he made these incredible movies like Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Deep Red and Suspiria and Tenebrae, which is my personal favorite, and Opera. And they're just like really cool premises, like interesting settings, incredibly stylish in terms of the filmmaking, loads of like flamboyant camera work, very bold colors, and collaborate with Goblin, this like Italian prog rock band, and they're just these wild big scores, and they're still being sampled to this day. And um, I say all this stuff because like his last pretty good movie came out in like 1996, which is the Stendhal Syndrome. And um, since then, I think he's really struggled to kind of recapture the magic of his best work. I'm not sure why, if it's him moving from practical effects to CGI, it could also be him trying to like adapt his style to fit mm-hmm. a more modern audiences. But I think he's lost something, and like the card player is like not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's set around this serial killer who kidnaps young women in Rome and then using a webcam setup. Uh, forces the police to play hands of internet poker and if the police lose the kidnapped victim is tortured and murdered on screen mm. which uh, and then um, when a British tourist is among the girls involved John Brennan an Irishman working for UK police played by Lynn Cunningham is assigned the case and teams up with Italian detective Anna Mary played by um, Stefania Roca to find the killer and uh, I actually think that premise I think that's I a good that's a that's a good jallo premise <laughs> I think it's a good pre- it's a good like <sighs> It's someone I, doing I their to, best to be I, modern. Yeah, I, I think you're gonna do like a modern spin on a Jello. You're like, mm. oh yeah, yeah. It sounds like Dario Argento saw Hostel, even though this probably came up before Hostel, mm. and he was like, oh, I love it, Mamma Mia. <laughs> I, it look, this movie looks really drab and grey, and oh. I think the reason is a mix of trying to emulate the style of something like Seven or Saw mm. or Hostel, which were around, came out around the same time as this, uh, but also having a really small budget. Like this movie costs like two million to make, and uh, aside from like a couple of nice little cameras he's no Neil Marshall <laughs> just looks really flat like uh, there's just none of the vivid colours of something like Deep Red or Suspiria and um, also um, even though one of the musicians from Goblin did the score to the card player soundtrack is really repetitive techno music <laughs> oh god <laughs> feels really like early post 2000 and dated and um very annoying screenplay. It's like a whodunit and the question is like who is the card player? You know the murderer and there's a character in the movie who they set up literally right from the very first scene as being suspicious so you think like it can't be him like it's too obvious it must be this other normal seeming dude lurking in the background and no it was the guy who was suspicious oh, was all along. Scene, which i was it's like I an episode of columbo <laughs> it was surprising but i was like not in like a good way uh, and um yeah a lot of stuff in this movie that feels very cliched parts of it are very silly there's like <laughs> the the police are challenged to play online poker with the killer for the first time and they ignore him. And the police chief is like... Play now at bingo 365. <laughs> the police chief is like, refuses to negotiate with the madman. And then the woman dies. And then the next time the killer calls them, the police are like, what should we do? Should we play him? Like, they haven't talked about it. <laughs> and like, they're like, should we play him? And the police chief's like, I'm thinking. Like, stuff, really dumb stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And um, it's rumored the character player was conceived as a sequel to the Sendal Syndrome at first, but was hastily rewritten after its star Azir Argento, who's Dario Argento's daughter is a star in her own right mm. dropped out which kind of would explain its script problems and that they were like writing it on the fly maybe mm. I'm not sure if that's 100% true but like it's reported online and um, yeah all Italian Jalo movies have bad dubbing mm. like you always have a mix of like English speaking actors and Italian actors dubbed into English 
And you can overlook it in a better movie, but here it's a real drag. <laughs> it's like, did you ever see that SNL sketch where it's like Norwegian Actors Playhouse? Where it's, Don't think um, so. Is that Scarlett Johansson? No, it, it's Andy Samberg and Fred Armisen are Norwegian actors doing their version of a New York cop show. And like <laughs> Bill Hader is presenting it and is like, the Norwegian actors spent months perfecting their American accents and the results are outstanding. And like it cuts to Armisen being like, Don't make me cross! haven't had my coffee and donuts yet like they're doing like really horrible yeah. performances it's like that and i saw one review referred to this as csi roma and um the one thing i'd recommend about it though aside from some tense scenes involving early 2000s online poker is lean cunningham who you can tell is like trying admirably and occasionally successfully to inject like a little bit of life it helps he's the only person who um sounds natural as there's mm. no need for him to be dubbed you know he speaks english and um <laughs> <laughs> he's the first line of the movie is really good but also kind of sums up the film in that like he's just introduced he comes into a room where everyone is talking and it's just like this is all bollocks <laughs> um, oh <God>. he's <laughs> talking to the italian cops because he's annoyed they didn't play poker with the killer the first time and he, very cliche character he's like haunted tough alcoholic detective brian to solve the case but he's having fun with it and there's a bit where the Italian cop, Anna, says to John, like, all the cops in my station think you're an asshole. And he says, they're correct. <laughs> um, like, his line delivery is good in the movie. And, yeah, you learn he has this, like, tragic backstory from his days working the London streets, which is why he's on secondment at the British Embassy. And he's like, I was the scapegoat. So they packed me off to Rome to protect lady tourists from bag snatchers. Lady tourists. <laughs> <laughs> not, not man tourists no. from man bag snatchers. <laughs> Men don't carry bags. No, what are you talking no. about? Um, but yeah and like he softens over the movie there's this funny bit where Anna walks him home after he gets way too drunk and he's being kind of flirty but sloppy and he starts singing Danny Boy to her <laughs> and he gets kind of close to her face and she's like you stink <laughs> it's like Darby O'Gill or something <laughs> <laughs> and like he apologizes the next day and she's like took you long enough Danny Boy um, but then they also get they kind of like warm to each other mm. and um, you kind of get the vibe of the course movie like he's trying to stay sober for her there's another funny bit where they're in her house and she offers him carrot juice <laughs> and he's like I haven't had a drink in a couple of days and then he like takes a pause and is like okay maybe I've had a beer <laughs> or two <laughs> and yeah I, just, I think he's just like an actor who likes to go big but is generally good at like fitting the right tone of the movie around him and I think it's true in Doc Soldiers and I think it's true here in that like he's commanding charming funny all at once while playing a kind of nothing character and I won't spoil his fate, but um, the ending to his part of the movie is pretty memorable. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's it's uh, not up to much. This film and doesn't sound it. It's not as good as the card counter, yeah. the Posh Raider movie. It's not as good um, as Hostel. <laughs> uh, no, not as good as Hostel. Um, I'd recommend it to only diehard Argento or Cunningham fans. So listen, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would urge people to seek out Argento's earlier work. I'll say that. And um, also, he's a new movie coming out this year called Dark Glasses. I think we talked about it briefly mm. uh, off the our, podcast. I think off yeah. podcast. No, we <laughs> talked about it in um, Christian Stewart episode when we were talking about like horror movies coming out this year. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I've heard that's a bit of a return to form for him. So I'm, I'm, that's nice. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. So it all comes full circle. <laughs> um, Andrew, don't talk about when this shakes the body. Sure. Sure. Liam Cunningham plays Dan, a train driver, socialist revolutionary, and eventual Irish Republican Army volunteer who meets IRA volunteer Damien O'Donovan, played by uh, Killian Murphy, using his God-given natural Cork accent for once, in jail where the two find common ground over their shared socialist beliefs. When the IRA splits in two between those who support the Anglo-Irish Treaty and those who oppose it, Dan and Damien remain with the IRA while many of their friends side with the newly formed Irish Free State. Are you in the Citizen Army? Mm. With Connolly? Oh, yeah. 
Jimmy, hear him speak. Dublin lookout. Nineteen thirteen. Saturday afternoon in the pissings of rain. We set a place alight. If you remove the British Army tomorrow and hoist the green flag over Dublin Castle, <clears throat> unless you organise a socialist republic, all your efforts will have been in vain. And England will still rule you through our landlords, capitalists and commercial institutions. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Connolly. So it's great, great to see the hated English as irredeemable villains. Always, always, always something you like to see <laughs> in uh, Irish, Irish historical I knew cinema. This episode was gonna I was going to say Andrews. something earlier, and then I was just like, "Should I?" <laughs> yeah, no, no, let it, let it fly. All right. Um, yeah, it's just, just as a coincidental kind of thing. It's odd that Cunningham has two, two like really great iconic scenes set in a prison that both focus on like the validity of the Republican movement, even though both are like set sixty years apart. Because there's obviously mm. the bit where he's like, yeah. he, him and <laughs> Killian Murphy like. He starts quoting James Connolly and then Killy Murphy finishes off the sentence. And it's like, oh, they're so cute together. <laughs> and then he has like the 25 minute scene with Michael Fassbender in Hunger. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I actually don't have any notes at all on him in this. <laughs> How did I manage that? Um, He's a train conductor, isn't he? He is a train conductor. Yeah, that's about all choo-choo. he is, though. Yeah. Choo choo. <laughs> Um, Does he do that? <laughs> no, no, he's uh, he's like I'm a union man no. at the stage. That's how he's introduced. No, he's no. like my union has instructed me not to um, drive this train or transport British British arms or soldiers across the country. And they're like, oh, you stupid buddy, and knock him in the nose with the, with a rifle or whatever. And that's no. how he's well, he's already a radical. That's how he's further radicalized and uh, ends up joining the IRA. Um, but uh, what I did like about the movie is that like um, the only English character of any substance is a landowner um, played by uh, Roger Allen, who plays him. Oh, um, such a good actor. Yeah, who plays Peter Mannion in um, The Thick of It. Yes. Yeah, and uh, there's no one, there was no one else I'd call, I'd trust to call uh, Ireland as he says a priest infested backwater, <laughs> and like all the other stuff the English people say in the movie are is really ha- racist and horrible, and then when he says priest infested backwater, you're like. He's Come got on. me. He's, yeah, he's got. He's got us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just um, always think of the line in the in the thick of it where he's like, "I'm going for a Twix." <laughs> I love the one at the end where like they buy a bank out of social embarrassment, and he's like, "You bought a bank out of social embarrassment." I sometimes have a big issue out of social embarrassment. I don't buy a fucking bank. <laughs> um, but uh, I think what's good about this is that, well, what's good about Liam Cunningham in this is that is that he was about to say Liam Neeson. Ooh. They should really call Liam Neeson William Neeson and <laughs> Liam Cunningham Liam Cunningham. They should let him have the Liam. Um, but he has all the, he has, gets all the great like socialist quotes because this is a Ken Loach movie and you know, sure. you're not having a Ken Loach war drama without a bit of praxis in it. Um, and he's like, uh, he's he's arguing with them about, over the treaty and he's like, any other course will change only the accents of the powerful and the colours of the flag. And you're like, yes, if only James Connolly wasn't dead. Um, or... One I think really resonates is where he's, he's talking to um, uh, Killian Murphy's character, Damien, and he's like, it's easy to know what you're against. It's quite another to know what you're for. I it's love like, that quote so It's much. so good, yeah. yeah. And it's something that I think re- echoes into hunger as well, because uh, mm. they have that deba- debate about their his the one scene. Of, on other sides of the table, of basically. 
Exactly. Yeah, fuck, yeah. why did I never realise that? Jesus, that film degree was useless. <laughs> <laughs> you can write that down, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Hi, I'm Neve Kavanagh. And I'm Gerard Farrelly. And we are the hosts of Agony Rants. We have been friends for a long time and on Agony Rants, we do what we've always done. Talk about people behind their backs and make suggestions on how they can improve their lives. No, we cheer them up on Monday morning and help them with their problems. By meddling in areas in which we are dangerously unqualified. Why don't you join us each week for a new episode? You'll find us wherever you do your listening with special bonus content for subscribers on headstuffpodcast.com. Agony Rants, out now on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month, when you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. Um, we move on to the hunger. hunger. Sure, Not yeah. the hunger that yeah, Tony Scott the hunger. Hunger. <laughs> um, yeah, Tony do you, Scott. Do you have the I do, yeah. And so Liam Cunningham plays Father Dominic Moran, a priest who comes to the Mays prison in Belfast in 1981 to discuss the morality of the hunger strike led by IRA volunteer Bobby Sands, played by Michael Fassbender in his real big breakout role where he lost God knows how much weight. A lot, I assume. He's tiny. Yeah, he's like a 2D on the screen. You miss it though? What? Countryside. I should get home to see my wee brother every month or so, but uh, aye, I miss the usual clean air, space, all that. Feels closer to who you are. Well, it is. No question. Something like a fish out of water working in a big city like Belfast, but uh, it's a job, isn't it? You stop looking around at your surroundings quick enough when you figure your business is the business of the soul and all. Business of the soul? Ah, you know what I mean. Learned that in the seminary too? Aye, and you can use that free of charge. Go on. Well, I suppose what I'm saying is, you get on. Kill Rick and wait till I'm an old man. Too many scoundrels to be saved in Belfast anyway. Busy work, aye. Should God reward you in heaven? And I'll be thankful. Once there's wine involved. Um, yeah, what really blew me away about this on a rewatch was, like, how I think it depicts and discusses in a really thoughtful way the troubles and mm-hmm. the events that led to the 1981 hunger strike. Any movie that does that, I think, deserves praise. But, like, I think it's an incredibly intimate portrayal of how people are impacted by the troubles, you know? And, like, obviously, its depiction of Bobby Sands, played by Fazbender, is, like, a lot of that. But, like, the character of Sands isn't introduced in the movie until, like, 30 minutes in, mm, right? Yeah. And, like, instead, during that time, the focus is on these two other IRA inmates at the Maze Prison, taking part in the dirty protest, you know, as part of the prisoner's efforts to regain political status after it was stripped away by the British government. And then on top of that, you have these, like, cutaways to a Maze Prison Guard, played by 
Stuart Graham is a very good actor and just during that section of the drama there's not a lot of dialogue you're just getting these like little glimpses into people's lives and they're just so sharply written by um and it's like Ender Walsh who's the famous playwright <laughs> yeah. and like artfully directed by Steve McQueen but they're just like all these little moments filled with rich symbolism that they really immerse viewers in the inhumane prison conditions the RA myth suffered while also showing viewers the determination and strength of these prisoners who continue to fight for what they believed in. And so that when the character of Bobby Zanz has this over 20 minute long scene with Liam Cunningham's priest character where he explains uh, the dirty protest isn't working and that he tends to take part in this hunger strike and he's prepared to die for it because he knows that it'll instigate change in some way. You understand completely where he's coming from. Mm, yeah, I just I love how it kind of merges the sort of macro and the micro mm. in that way. Yeah, but what do you think about it? Um, yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> but um, just w- when I was watching it, yes, uh, was the day before yesterday. Um, there's something. I Centurion was before this. I think it was after this. Was it? Because I was trying to work it out because they're yeah. also like, Cunningham and Fassbender are also in this great little short movie called Pitch Black Heist, which is directed by John McLean, who made Slow West. Oh. And it's this, like, 10-minute... It's a heist that they have to perform in the dark. And it's just them training to do the heist, and then it ends with a scene of, basically, blackness where they're winning mm. a heist. It's a very good short movie. It's on Vimeo. You can watch it. Well, I might give it a go. Um, good. I just... I couldn't get over their chemistry in that scene. Mm. And there was... It was just this one thing I didn't notice until halfway through their scene together. It's just the really subtle shifts to their attitudes toward each other so at the beginning it's very polite and then just the chemistry they have together then it suddenly shifts to they're having a laugh and then there's like a little bit of anger and then at the end it's just it's just pure sadness Mm. and kind of like i can't do i don't know what to do Mm. um and i just think that the two of them just worked really really well together because you don't even notice it happening you're kind of just swept up in the two of them together having a converse like a, just a genuine conversation about how smoking's a filthy habit and <laughs> yeah. lovely though lo- oh yeah 20 a day oh, over I here like <laughs> I also love him talking about his uh, Lincoln Cunningham talking about his uh, pushy little twerp brother yeah. oh yeah <laughs> 28 years old and a fucking parish priest yeah, it's, yeah good, it's good to see you're not bitter about it oh no it couldn't be that <laughs> yeah there, there's a quote on the DVD of Hunger that I had and it's from, I think, a Sunday Tribune review, which says, like, the movie tears up the cinematic rule. I actually think it's a great way. I think that's a great way to describe what McQueen and Walsh do in the movie. And that making a hard pivot halfway through the movie from these, like, little glimpses of life at May's prison and the people who inhabit it to this, like, 23 minute long scene featuring this, like, 17 minute unbroken, like, almost theatrical shot of just two people sitting on a table talking should feel jarring. And it mm. doesn't. And... I think the reason it works well is like partly like it's really skillfully written and that like it excuse kind of exposition. It's like scripted to begin as a very natural observational conversation between two people. It's clear that like Bobby Sands and this priest who I, I actually don't think the priest is a real person. Like it must be some sort of composite character because I tried to Google if there was. Yeah, I think yeah, loads of people met with Bobby Sands. Like sure, the, yeah, the yeah. Pope's representative met with, Bob, with Bobby Sands and Liam Cunningham is not the Pope's representative. No <laughs> offense be. to Liam. But. <laughs> um, but, like, you get the vibe in, in the movie's version of this that they know each other quite well and have a, a rapport and, like, they're making small talk. And you get the impression from Cunningham that he's, like, his priest character is, like, caring but quick-quitted and has, like, maybe adopted this sort of dry sense of humor as a means of coping with the political instability mm. of the time. But it's, only, like, only gradually over the conversation that Sam's reveals his intention to hunger strike and they start to engage in this debate about how effective a second hunger strike would be and what the morality of it as well, like, that because Sands is, is willing to die for it and like is that suicide is it fair asking others to take part of it and it eventually ends with Sands stating his belief that like 
his belief in what is right and just like united ireland is stronger than any doubts he might have and he's putting my life on the line is not just the only thing i can do it's the right thing mm. and it's extremely powerful but the the movie gets that place like in a, in a really organic way and i think a huge part of that is the performances and apparently you were saying you how intimate that they feel mm. cunningham moved into michael fassbender's apartment for a time and they practiced the scene like 12 to 15 times makes sense day. then yeah and, like i feel like that intimacy helps the scene and I think Cunningham's character goes on a real journey in the scene and moving from being this sort of, you know, sardonic, having this kind of sardonic yeah. act to going very impassioned, urging Sands against the strike. And he's like, you know, have you thought mm. about what you're going to put these boys through? To the realization that Sands has made up his mind. And there's a close up at one point of Cunningham's face after Fazbender tells the story about how as a child he came across the injured foal while he was on a cross country retreat with the school and he put it out of its misery. And even though he was punished by his teacher for it, he knew in his heart he did the right thing. It's another like beautiful piece of writing and like allegory. But like it cuts back to Cunningham. It's like the first time you're probably getting a close-up of Cunningham, I think, from yeah, the scene. Yeah. yeah. And his face is nearly totally still, aside from just his mouth quivering a little yeah. bit. And he's like, but he's breathing heavy and he turns to look away for a second. And you can just tell he's like emotionally devastated. Yeah, and yeah. Like, he's, he doesn't have an argument back. Yeah, it's just yeah. the set of his mouth and, like, the, just the deep well of these green eyes uh, revealed just enough to know that he's, like, he feels kind of betrayed and hurt um, that he, by that when he realised that the only reason he's meeting with Bobby Sands is because Bobby Sands wanted to use him as, like, a sounding board to express his own doubts and then eventually express how he just, he's already decided and um but you can kind of sense like a little bit of grudging admiration in there as well sure that he's yeah. like uh god wish i had this fucker's conviction yeah <laughs> i yeah. find it really sad at the end when because he tells the story about the foal and then he's just where you said quiet for a minute and he goes i think says like i don't i don't know if i can if i can see you again i don't know if you'll i don't know if you'll see me again and it that bit like broke me mm, when i was yeah. watching it and it's like the master <laughs> like these two people they have such a respect for each other that they like it's it's too painful mm. to be around yeah. it's really good mm. <laughs> I was meant to ask I said, does anyone watch Game of Thrones I never yeah, watched it I any did. thoughts on Cunningham and Game of Thrones he I, like I'm biased but I think he was one of the best things about it because his character isn't completely fucked over basically um, and like you were saying he does make it from two to eight thank god but um, he's Kind of um, one of the characters that has a conviction the whole way through because, you know, you've, you've seen all the BuzzFeed articles and the tweets about how Daenerys did this and Jon Snow did that. But Davos Seaworth the whole way through, I think he's he's perfect. He's great. And, he ha and he's the funniest character, I think. And yeah, I think he's great in it. Um, he, there's something that we were, I can't remember what we were saying earlier, but he just brings sort of um, a funness. A funness is that a word? Probably not to everything he does. Like you were mentioning the the Rick and Morty thing as well. Oh yeah. Have you seen that? <laughs> I uh, seen that. It's a very fun. Is it yeah. Baltarog or something? Baltramor or something. Ba yeah, like that. and he's he's the emotionally slutty dragon, yeah. and he's just he's just so good, and he just seems to have so much fun with everything he does. And what you were saying, and maybe something that we'll talk about later. He tends in bad things. He tends to be the best thing about it. Sure. Yeah. I love that Game of Thrones has sort of given him this cult status a little bit about yeah. like probably Rick and Morty wouldn't use him if he wasn't in Game of Thrones yeah but, definitely you know. because I remember watching um, him on an, in, for the last season um, in an interview with uh, Conan O'Brien and he was like oh Conan I brought you a gift and it was when that big Starbucks cup controversy was on and he picks up a Starbucks cup and gives it to him <laughs> um, but most of the interview was just about how much shit he stole from the set <laughs> that he just has hanging up on a wall in his house I think yeah that's so great 
Did you you watched Let Us Pray for this, didn't you? Yes. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yes. I feel bad either because you asked me, like, is it good? Should I check it out? And I was like, I remember thinking it was okay. I watch it's a lot like, of trash. It's, it's fine. Very I nice. thought and then it was... I saw your letterbox. So it was like two stars. And I was like, <laughs> I thought it was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I went you? in, yeah, I, I went in expecting. Yeah. I, like, every time I see, I, I pick a movie I've never heard of, usually on Shudder or something like that, or Netflix, and like, uh, or not never heard of, but like, have heard lots of bad things about it. I'm trying, I'm trying, like, I try and like, wash all my expectations away and just go in like, with the lowest bar possible. And I did that with The Grudge a few weeks ago, the remake. Thought it was great. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller. No, uh, no the, the Andrea Riseborough that came out. Yeah. Like oh, the new, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you're right. I think the old remake is pretty good too. Um, but um, I've only seen the Japanese one. Freaking me out. That's that's probably in fairness, it's probably the best one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I liked Let Us Pray as well. I thought I th- I really thought I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but yeah, uh, Liam Cunningham plays six. Uh, that's what he's listed as in the credits. Anyway, I don't think he has an actual name. A mysterious man brought to a police station after being the victim of a hit and run. He possesses somehow the darkest secrets of everyone and seems to be out to reveal and punish them for what they've done, except for rookie recruit Rachel Heggie played by Pollyanna McIntosh, who, as the night grows more chaotic, finds common ground with this avenging angel. Or devil. Mm. (laughs) That the price of our sins is paid for in blood. That I shall be... I shall be a vagabond in the earth. And everyone that findeth me shall slay me. That's the one. something in common we're both Christian men except you're more of an Old Testament kind of guy aren't you the blood and the vengeance the sweat and the spunk I can smell it I say you don't remember that one from Sunday school I don't know why, but then I jumped ship. So you don't believe in God? Didn't say that. But I would like a fucking word. Big Randall flag energy, I thought. Yeah. 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 Did you watch the new stand? I did for it's my bad, sins. It? It's so because <laughs> I read. I, I say I read it. Like I mean, no, I didn't read it. I listened to the audiobook over a course of like six months, and then the, I was watching the show. Like, why am I doing this yeah. to myself? Skarsgård's <laughs> good enough. That's the only thing I'll say. I didn't even know if I liked him in it. Yeah, I just maybe I just liked his getup. Yeah, his yeah. hair. His hair looked great. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that much. It does. This movie does have Stephen King energy, though. If anyone's like read or seen Needful Things, yeah. Premise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's another one that really reminded me of it was um, a 1999 miniseries I watched probably in the early 2000s called Storm of the Century. Like, I've always heard that's really good. Yeah, it was a direct to TV. It was. It was never a book. He just wrote the oh, screenplay. Okay. It's actually the, his favorite thing he did. But this was really, really like that. Just a stranger kind of mm. coming in and making people a bit weird. Yeah, so cool. it, it did. It did have big Stephen King energy. The yeah. whole thing. And I like the the whole like again another kind of assault on precinct thirteen style movie. And I I, th- I think it's like full of snappy one liners and like really gory action. I feel like sometimes that's kind of jarring. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I mean. uh, like the uh, people in the village for such a small village, everyone's like fucked up. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emmerdale. Or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like the dialogue is kind of crap. That the um the the couple. Yeah, there. The, yeah, the one liners stand out so much from that in that they're like I think quite well written whereas everything else is just kind of a bland kind of porridge um, 
And it's, so it's kind of lucky that Liam Cunningham's character six is like either completely silent or like only quoting Bible scripture. Mm. Um, and it's a real, it's a performance that basically relies only on presence more than anything else, which is lucky because he has that in spades. Just in, just in general, not, 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 yeah. not specific to this movie. <laughs> um, and this is like just some of the one liners where he's like, um, the doctor's treating him and he's like, uh, because no one knows who this guy is. And he's like, oh, that's unusual. It's such a one horse town. And then Liam Cunningham snaps up. He's like, and it's a pale fucking horse. <laughs> <laughs> when the Irish accent came out, I was like, yes, yeah, here yeah, we yeah. go. Or uh, like the Scottish psychotic gay um, police chief is like, uh, you don't believe in God. And he's like, I didn't say that. But I would like a fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> um, or like he's talking to Pollyanna McIntosh and she's like, go to hell. He's like, why bother? All the devils are here. Oh, yeah, really and then it's like, oh, it's your, every time one of those happens, you're like, yes, <laughs> and then someone else starts talking. He's like, oh, shut up. Um, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe my thoughts on it will sour uh, as time goes on, but I thought I had fun with it. Yeah. It was fun. I I couldn't find the budget online because, I, but I was watching. I was like, it all went on like corn syrup. Like, it, yeah. it's the gore is incredible. Like, particularly the scene where they go to like the doctor's house, mm. and it's just kind of flashes mm. of what happened, and that's in that's really really good. I yeah. thought that was really really gross. But just like on on Cunningham's performance, I think I wrote down, I was like, it's a party I didn't really want to go to, but I'm really glad when I saw that he was there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the bit where like one character is like trying to escape out of a broken window and she steps on a chair, chair, slides out from under and lands on her neck on broken glass. It's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. it's like Looney Tunes almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We talked about Childhood of a Leader. Yeah. I think we were the only two people who watched it. So I had the plot. So set around 1918 and 1919 in the aftermath of World War I, uh, this film centres around a young boy named Prescott who is living temporarily in the French countryside. The boy's father, by Liam Cunningham, is an American diplomat who's in France on US President uh, Woodrow Wilson's orders to help negotiate the famous Treaty of Versailles, while his mother is a German-born French-speaking woman played by Bernice Bejo. Um, and it's suggested that um, the reason the father landed such a position is because his bosses assumed he spoke French because his wife did. And he yeah. Uh, which is probably one of the only parts of this movie that's funny, I'd say. Yeah, um, the film took a lot out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the movie begins, Prescott seems to be in a bit of a rebellious phase. Like he gets in trouble for throwing rocks at a church. However, over the course of the movie, for multiple reasons, like he doesn't have any, fr- the kid doesn't have any friends. And it's like, he's got long yeah. hair, which is like a thing. Yeah, for, like, keep mistaken for a woman. Um, yeah, he doesn't have any friends in this like bleak, wintry French countryside. There's a film of doom and gloom in the era post the war. You get the impression his parents are dissatisfied with their own lives and their relationship. Yeah, it's very loveless. And- yeah, are pretty detached and cruel to the boy. But you essentially watch this boy, Prescott's temperament, darken over the course of the story. And given the title, you know that he's going to eventually, that's going to eventually have an impact on a wide number of people, given that the boy is going to grow up into some sort of a leader. Mm. How's the wife liking it out here? Took her a week to get over a bad case of boat sickness. But she likes it fine. Happy to be back in Europe, I'd say. I remember her telling Catherine and I that she lived in Strasbourg for some time, yes. Mm-hmm. Spent much of her childhood life there, in fact. She's got memories. Honestly, I think it's half the reason Secretary Lansing asked me to come along. She impressed him with her friends at a, a dinner party, something or other. And he seemed to assume that I, too, speak the language. <laughs> <laughs> Little did he know. And um, yeah, what do you think of this sequel? Uh, I really, 
like I really like yeah, um, yeah I really I don't know what happened there while I was, was watching it I was like I was, I'm not sure how much I did this and then yeah. the ending is so good that I was yeah. like it kind of made everything worthwhile yeah because I think it's I think because it is literally done in three parts it's part one the first tantrum the second and then the third sign of things to come uh, yeah <laughs> and then Prescott the bastard yeah <laughs> um, so yeah it was like the first one the first part I was kind of like okay what's going on and then as it's it, it just escalates so quickly and then by the end of it I was like I need to just kind of sit down with that for mm. maybe 20 minutes but um uh, yeah I I was like I wrote like so many notes when I was watching <laughs> that and I wrote like I wrote boobs like four times there's like, a lot of like weird boy and boob stuff that I was just watching like oh no there's it's, a crush on his tutor played by Stacey Martin yeah and then there's this like Fair the, enough. The, the housemaid as well and he's like kind of like a bit weird with her and then his own mother as well I think and yeah, I really, I really liked it. It was, it was very, made me very uncomfortable, but in a good way, I think. And Liam Cunningham scared the shite out of me in it. Mm, yeah, He's so menacing in it, I think. <laughs> yeah, because um, you were, I remember you were talking recently, Andrew, about some movie. I can't remember what movie it was, but you were basically saying like, it feels like the world is decaying. Oh, it was probably like Seven or The Empty Man or one of the, yeah, one of those Sons movies. Of the or something yeah, like that. Sons yeah, of the Lambs. Were... It feels like that in the movie, and that like from the moment like the movie begins, like everything is really just like you know, yeah. like, it, and even like the house is rotten, like just the like, and it's just it's kind of like obviously a metaphor for how his family life is, but the house is just in bits, and you don't want to be there. It just looks cold and everything. <laughs> yeah, there's just like this kind of like darkness or malaise. Everyone's just, wearing black in the whole movie. Everyone's yeah, wearing black true. as well. There's all those like these scenes of like um, people going to church or whatever, where they're like doing these kind of processions. That are yeah, very, like, looks more haunting. like a funeral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, and it just like it's that darkness is there from the start, and it just makes itself more apparent as it continues. But um, yeah, and like we, t- I think we talked a lot on this about like Cunningham giving these like very big performances, playing like slightly larger than life characters. But here he's like very prickly and reserved. Like mm. the the most cheerful we see him over the course of the movie is his introduction scene where he's drinking with a, a family friend, played by Robert Pattinson, yeah. who's a small but uh, very pivotal yeah. part in the film. But even then, they're playing pool while having this like very heavy conversation about the Bible and the war. And then they move to sit down and they're drinking whiskey and smoking and opera music is playing in the background. And it should be kind of fun and luxurious. But like Patson's character seems like he's got like a really heavy cold. Like he he just looks awful. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like, pissed as well. Like he's just he's kind of his eyes are going and everything. Yeah, and he's and like just, coughing and sniffing yeah. a lot. And Cunningham's character, who's unnamed in the movie, they just call him the father. father. Um, see, he just seems like something like heavy is weighing on his mind. He's giving these like very dry responses to Patson's questions. Like, how's the wife liking it out here? Took her a week to get over a bad case of boat sickness, but she likes it fine. Like stuff like yeah. that. Or and again, like sickness. Like there's yeah. this like recurring thing and like. How's Prescott's French coming along? It's certainly better than mine. <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that. And then there's these scenes where like Ho and Cunning's characters are together and their interactions are not like loving or passionate. Like everything's very formal and polite, but there's something off. And it just, it comes to a head in a particular scene that yes. I was very close to looking away from. It's, <laughs> and it, it's, it, it's really just kind of catches you off guard because you think he's just that kind of stereotypical reserved you know character you know no feelings that's my child that's my wife I do my job and then there's just a scene where he's just a freak and an awful awful person it's just he's just repressed and it come, all comes out in that scene and also the scene later where he spoiled beats Prescott but yeah mm. because like, you, you kind of learn that Beho maybe fell for Cunningham's character but never wanted kids and she wanted to have like a more independent yeah she's life. very resentful she kind of says it to her own son at one point or she says it to um, Stacey Martin. Martin yeah and um, I think Cunningham wants another child and then there's this yeah, have a girl no why don't we have a girl so you have someone 
Talking yeah. passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's like Beha's in bed with like a covering over her eyes because she has a migraine sickness again. And Cunningham's character comes in and starts fondling her and saying, like, I want another child. Mm. And like she seems into the fondling at first, but is saying things like, I can't have another one. My having Prescott nearly killed me. I need to look out for my health. And Cunningham puts his fingers in her mouth forcefully and says, Stop. And it's very creepy. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. sick yeah. just thinking about it. sickness again. He just yeah. leaves the room saying, I'm leaving. I lost the notion. I lost the notion. Poor, poor you. Yeah. <laughs> but he says as well, like, and it's a, she's kind of like, no, no, I have a migraine and like, I don't. And he's like, I could make you. And it's just kind of like, oh, God, this yeah. is a terrible man. Like, I'm so glad that this guy is helping write the Treaty of Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, yeah, just everything's very, like, stiff upper lip to, like, an uncomfortable level. Like, it's very tight you around. And I think the kid, Prescott, lashes out because he senses these things mm-hmm. in the family. And, like, there's the, the scene where Prescott walks in on Cunningham's father talking to the French dude. Yeah. Like, and I think comes to believe that they're having an affair. And the kid confronts him about it in front of his mother. And Cunningham's character kind of plays it off being like oh it's just paying her she wanted yeah. an advance and the mother goes like oh yes uh, she asked she me, asked me that yesterday. as well yeah it feels fake and like she's covering for her husband to keep up appearances and but like all the mother and father's anger about their life they just end up directing at both their elderly housekeeper Mona who's played by poor Yana, woman yeah <laughs> that, she's really good in the movie yeah and Prescott and like I think the most one of the other most distressing scene in the movie is after Prescott's been bold and like hides in his room. Cunningham's character breaks down the door, pulls him to the ground, and like slaps the kid repeatedly, and ends up like hurting the kid's arm, which is sort of the last straw for the kid. He starts like plot of revenge, and um, yeah, it's definitely like a more muted turn from Cunningham compared to his sounds it. previous yeah. project. I don't see yeah, how you can go it, it big was, in this. Yeah, it was something I like. I never expected it from him because I'd heard about the film, and then when I watched it, it was something completely different to what I expected, and especially his performance kind of expected him to kind of be a bit more jovial which he even when he's a bit grim he has just that energy um, I thought he'd be a bit more scene chewy because I, I from what I heard about this movie that I heard it was a bit kind of like ironic or whatever and it's like not it's very grim yeah I thought it was really just dour the whole way through yeah but um I do think it's impressive how much information he gets across to the audience about his character even when like little or nothing is said like mm-hmm. it's just like a kind of air he carries with him that just makes everything like putrid <laughs> <laughs> I think the movie's really impressive, though, and, like, it should be said, made by Brady Corbett, who I think was only in his 20s when this movie was made. Um, he makes me so mad. He's doing so well for himself. Him, him and Xavier Dolan. Um, <laughs> Rude. But, um, yeah, and he was, like, at, by the time he made this movie, was, like, mostly known as in, like, the art house realm. Like, he made movies with, like, a bunch of auteurs, like, like Greg Araki. Like, he's in Mysterious Skin. He's, like, the other kid. Mm. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. He's in... He's in the Funny Games remake, Michael Haneke, Lee's Wirt, he's in Kaiser Maria, you know, Where to Lies Von Trier. And I just only bring it up because, like, you can really feel the influences of those, like, particularly Von Trier and Haneke on this because it's not a traditional historical drama that you would expect when you hear about, like, the Treaty of Versailles is a major plot point, which was, you know, the peace treaty that ended the state of war between Germany and the Allied powers. But one of the requirements of it was that Germany had to pay reparations to certain countries that led to this great resentment in the country, which is cited as maybe being what powered the Nazi party's rise. And so, like, Corvée, instead of focus- focusing on the negotiation of treating, like, putting it in the background of his movie and juxtaposing it with this, like, coming-of-age story, that's so much like the White Ribbon, mm. you know, the Michael Haneke movie, which is, like, you know, these sinister kids in a small German town in the 1910s and like there are these yeah. like, weird things that are happening 
and it seems like it's being done by the kids but they're the kids who are going to grow up to be nazis and like just the vibe of like this allegorical story about the birth of a great evil where it has the tone of a drama but could always tip over into horror for very hanukkah to me but then like all the stylistics of the movie like the way it kind of like constantly switches up like the whole the way the finale is shot like entirely in these like long swirling camera takes yeah that's chris really takes the out of it to me yeah. And all those title cards. Oh, yeah, the opening with the, the old kind of the say old timey sort of the credits first. I thought I thought that was very Lars von Trier. Yeah. And the score is really, really good. The score is so sc- there's a I can't remember who it reminded me of. I do think it was like Nine Inch Nails. There's, you know the when he's having the nightmare at the beginning and it's just like kind of a montage of hallways and stuff. I I thought it was like Nine Inch Which Nails. Which shows kind up of, later in the, the end. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. kinda of like, Oh, that was the dream. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, um, it's a cool movie it's a movie oh, okay. check it out. yeah that's where yeah. I watched it but um, I just one thing I did think it was like I thought it was maybe I'm reading way too much into it but I just thought it was such a good um, a representation of just toxic masculinity like especially all the male characters and there's one thing I thought was like I felt slapped in the face by it because I was like yeah no way but um, they're talking about reparations and then they're saying, you know, we should, well, what about votes for women? And oh, and yeah. they're, they're trying to decide who gets what. And, you know, one someone of the guys there says something about getting equality and they're about to talk about that. And then it's all disrupted by a man's penis because uh, Prescott's standing in the doorway just completely naked yeah. and say, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. And even there's like. This is a movie where the brief kind of conversations that don't really have anything to do with the plot where characters just talking, it's like, yeah, I heard uh, Robert Pattinson's wife was killed on a trip when they went away and yeah. it's just never brought up again. Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> I think the opening, one of the things I thought was the conversation between Liam Cunningham and Robert Pattinson at the start just kind of sets up the whole film when they're talking about, you know, the uh, great tragedy of war. The, yeah. And um, they're talking about uh, Pontius Pilate and it's like, our people afraid not people aren't scared to be bad they're afraid to be good and it's just the kind of whole thing it's like you could you could call it out at any point but you just kind of don't want to and that's how obviously hitler's happen (laughs) (laughs) i just i never think about the treaty of versailles and like i was the same age as brady Brady corbet when he made this movie (laughs) (laughs) he has so much on his mind yeah yeah um i think that's everything any other cunning and products you want to talk about I'm very excited for the last voyage of the Demeter, oh, yeah. but I can't wait. Yeah, because there's two two big projects. Obviously, three body problem mm. Netflix sci-fi series from the makers of Game of Thrones. Like I didn't watch Game of Thrones, so I don't care about that. But it um, is based on a book, and usually when they're adapting books, they're quite good at it. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, last voyage of the Demeter, um, the Demeter being the ship in Dracula. Mm. I feel like I, I've heard about this movie for years because I heard that originally David Slade was going to make it and then it was going to be Neil Marshall at one point and now it's going to be shot by Andre Overdahl, I think is how it's pronounced, in director's track who made Troll Hunter mm. and Autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I really like, I like his style of horror. It's just kind of under this, it just gets under your skin yeah, a little yeah. bit. So. I think he's really varied as well, I think, when yeah. it comes to like monsters or the mm. supernatural elements in his movies anyway. Um, yeah, rate and view and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Email I know the at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach out to the show, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you love I Know That Face, please consider donating five euro a month to us through Heads to Plus, where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. We have multiple available now, including a few in our Leading Legends series, focusing on A-listers like Brad Pitt, Kristen Stewart, Denzel Washington, Jodie Foster. Um, Aoife, anything you'd like to plug? Um, my letterboxed um, 
but I don't know it off by heart. So you can follow me on Twitter and it's in my bio. I'm kind of funny on Twitter sometimes. You're uh, very good on Twitter. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my name is uh, Eda Pussy with a zero instead of an O. <laughs> yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never heard know. someone say it out loud before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're also your main name is like Lewis. Uh, Lewis Lift Watchdog. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew, where can we find more? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. Check me out, Joe Bye. Sierra Cinephiles. Bye bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.